God is the one who created justice and cares about justice more than you could ever. Remember that. Whenever you get to the point where you're like, I just want to do my own way, God cares about justice more than you could ever imagine. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. So today we're starting the Psalm series for the summer, and we'll be starting in Psalm chapter 4. So if you go, want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to ch- Psalm chapter 4. Um, I want to share with you how we can have peace from Psalm chapter 4. And I want to point out the process of peace that David lays out for us. But before we get there, I want to quickly do an overview of Hebrew poetry. And I think it's very important for us to know the structures of the Psalms. And the reason why is this. Um, we all u- use tools for a multiple of things. Like uh, you can use a screwdriver, okay, for tons of things. I usually use it to tighten door handles. You can use it to, you know, wh- whatever you need it for. And so we use tools for specific tasks. Now imagine you took a screwdriver and you said, I'm going to put together a deck. And so you, you get the wood out, you get the screws out, and you grab your screwdriver and you start screwing in the screws. And you're like, wow, this is really hard. What am I doing wrong? How come this is just taking forever? Well, it's because you should be using a drill and not a screwdriver. And I think what happens sometimes is we go to the Psalms with a screwdriver when we really need to have a drill. And so today, I want to give you a new tool to think about when you're reading the Psalms. And this tool is called parallelism. Now, this is not a simple tool, but because it isn't simple, it means that we need to work to understand how to use this tool. And um, so I'm going to give you a quick overview, and I want you to take the initiative after hearing about this tool, I want you to start learning about it yourself. Um, and, and when you're reading the Psalms yourselves, I want you to look for patterns about parallelism. So let's get into parallelism real quick. Parallelism is using coupled phrases in poetry. So the second line of a coupling could be repeating, opposing, contrasting, or adding to the first line. You see, they, um, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme like English poetry. They don't use rhymes. They actually use phrasings and coupling them together. Uh, Derek Kinder says, the fundamental characteristic of Hebrew poetry was not its external forms or rhythms, but its way of matching or echoing one thought with another. This has been described as thought rhyme, or more often, parallelism. And this term was introduced by Bishop Robert uh, Loth in the 18th century. And there are several types of parallelism. So for one example, uh, Psalm 103, verse 10. uh, I think I have it up there. This is uh, synonymous parallelism. And it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does repay us according to our iniquities. Now this form of parallelism, the second line simply reinforces the first so that its content is enriched 
and the total effect becomes spacious and impressive. Another type of parallelism is called the antithetical parallelism, um, where the second line contrasts the first line. So Psalm 34.10, which I have that as well. The young lions lack and suffer, uh, suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good. So there are, we have two lines. The first one is opposite from the second line. Um, so that is first synonymous, antithetical, and you got the third, which is the synthetic parallelism. And this is where the second line adds to the first line. So Proverbs 21, 27. I know this is not in the Psalms, but they still use it in the Proverbs. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable. How much more so when brought with evil? So it's adding to the first thing. Just making it a little bit more understandable. Now, when reading the Psalms and other poetry in the Bible, please keep in mind these patterns. And you're probably asking, but why? Why is it important that we keep these things in mind? Well, here's a few reasons. First, the the number one reason that I, I see is that when we think about patterns, it's easy for us to memorize or to remember what we have read. Because imagine, you're just, usually when we memorize things, we think word by word by word by word. But if we think concept by concept, I was like, oh, wait, I remember that phrase. That was the opposite of the very first phrase. It helps us as a memorization tool to understand the scriptures and to, to actually put it into our hearts a little better. Another reason would, would be that um, we don't always understand things the same way. Have you ever been in a class and the teacher teaches something this exact same way and you get done, you're like, wow, I learned nothing. Because I don't understand what you're saying. Now, but teachers that are good will say, okay, let me explain it this way. Now, let me come over here and explain it this way. And so what I think parallelism does, it gives you contrasting ideas or rewording of something so that you can understand it from a different angle. Um, It's sort of like um, if you had a big diamond in front of you and someone's looking at the diamond this way and they see something over there, they can't quite make it out, and you're looking at it this way, you're like, oh, I see it clearly because I'm looking at it from this angle. It's refracting in the right way. So poetry is like you're looking at it from one angle, then you look at it from another, another, and you finally get to that point on the diamond, like, oh, that makes sense now. I can actually see what is actually happening. And so that's what the Hebrew poetry does, unless you see from different angles. So, and the last one uh, reason is to give attention to the thought that's happening in the Psalms. Uh, when you use parallelism, we are not just saying one line and we're moving on. We're taking time to focus on that thought and for it to stick better and to, to mull over it some. And there's actually markings in the Psalms, such as the word Selah, that emphasize this. So when you're reading through and you see the word Selah, you're supposed to stop and you're supposed to contemplate what you just read. Contemplate. In this fast-paced world of information, we don't take the time to contemplate. We just go on to the next article, the next Facebook post, the next whatever. The Psalms are written for us to sit and contemplate and understand them. So, as you read through Psalms this week, because everyone's going to read through Psalms this week, right? Okay. I encourage you to do so. And when you do so, to spot the parallelisms. Just, oh yeah, I can see it. I can see it there. Highlight it. 
Go do a Google search because you can find them very easily. There's actually seven in total. There's more than those three. And just start seeing the patterns and letting them be something that you take in and not just skip over because you're using a screwdriver. You're now using a drill. Okay. So let's go ahead and jump into Psalm chapter four. Um, one of the hardest things for us to do as humans is to find peace. And there are many things that claim to bring peace. Uh, buying the newest gadget, retiring with the right amount of money, um, having the right friendships, having the approval of people. And, and these things call to us every day and say, that, hey, if you just do this, you will find peace. Because we all want peace. But we're, many of us are looking for it in the wrong places. When we actually truly know where it comes from, and for whatever reason, we decide to not go to that source. Um, as it's said throughout history, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And many times we do that. We, we're like, oh, I know where the answers are. And I know I could open my Bible, but I don't know if I want to drink from the word of God. I don't know if I want to find peace in God. And so today I want to share with you David's process of peace through Psalm chapter 4. And I want us to see how good God is so that we can drink of him and find true peace. So if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments. I would love to hear this with the violin. That'd be great. A Psalm of David. Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long shall you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would lead us today through this psalm to find peace, to find peace in you. No matter what we're going through, no matter how big something else says that will, they will give us peace if we do it. And help us not to just hear these words today, but help us to live them out, to choose to find peace in you. And speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this psalm is traditionally classified as an individual lament, but more precisely, it is a psalm of confidence in which the innocent worshiper rises above the ground of lamentation with sure trust in God. David had, been, uh, had people that were against him. And just like in Psalm chapter 3, where he was fleeing from Absalom, in this psalm, we see David struggling again through the process of finding peace in the middle of people going against him, dishonoring him, 
defaming his name. And David is wanting to follow God. Have you been there? Have you been there where you say, I want to follow God, but I feel like when I do, there are people that are against me. They're saying, what you're doing is not right. And you're like, no, but I, I understand the word of God. I'm trying to follow after him. And they're, they're saying, no, you're a terrible human being. And they're talking bad about you. It could be a believer that is that's not understanding, a believer that's walked away from God in some way, is not following as closely. It could be someone that isn't a believer at all, who just wants to break you down because that's, that's all they know, they know themselves. And David's in this place where people are de- defaming his name. And in the midst of this, he, he is seeking to remain faithful to God. Now, when things like this happen, it's hard to process all the emotions and think clearly. And it takes some really hard conversations um, with others, conversations with yourself. Um, It's us getting past the smiles and the grins and getting to the root of the chaos that's happening in our life. And after doing all that, David is saying, turn to God and find peace in him. Because honestly, I I don't know about you guys, but it's hard to be completely honest with yourself sometimes. Because you just like, okay, I can move on past this. I can get through it. No, this is David saying, we need to get to the root of what's going on. We need trust in God. So I want to walk you through this scripture and share with you the seven-step process that David took to find peace in the middle of this situation. The first one is to find peace, number one, just like David did, we need to cry out to God. We need to cry out to God. Verse one, to the choir master with the string instruments, the Psalm of David, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And this is, when David says this, this is probably not his first prayer. I mean, he's probably prayed about the situation over and over again. But have you been to that point in your life, like David is in this one? Have you been to that point where you literally cried out to God? It wasn't just a, you know, I'm going to just say, hey, God, help me. You know, you cried out to God. David is in place right now of humility. And that's where we need to be. It's us saying that, God, we need you. You are bigger than us. But this doesn't happen by accident. We need to take the time to cry out to God. And I know that many times in my own life, I get up, I start the day, I know there's trouble in my life, I know there's things going on, but I, I just start off. I get distracted by things. I, I get to the end of the day, I see my family, and then I go to bed, and I, uh, I've taken some time to pray, but I haven't taken time to cry out to God, knowing that he's the one who can help me through this time. Here, David is encouraging us to stop, to cry out. And then he says, you are my righteousness. You are my righteousness. So when he's crying out, he's not saying, I'm crying out because I'm perfect. I'm crying out because you are a good God and you are my righteousness. And then, on top of that, he says, I remember all the great things you've done for me in the past. Yet you are a faithful God. God, I'm crying out to you because I know what you did in the past and I'm asking you to do it again. Recently, I started journaling 
And it has been such a, such a sweet time to contemplate the previous day. I, I look at the previous day, I look at the good, I look at the bad, and I try to be as raw as possible. Because God wants us to be raw. He wants to be honest with what's going on. And, and, and in these moments, God helps me deal with the emotions, helps me deal with the, the, the sadness, the confusion, the chaos, and the situation that I have no control over. He helps me to just let it go. And having this time aligns myself with God's heart. And this is where I cry out to God for help. But also a place that I can go back, just like David said, I can see your faithfulness. I can go back and see God's faithfulness since I'm writing these down. Many times we don't remember God's faithfulness because we, we don't stick it in our minds to say, oh man, I remember when you did this, I remember when you did that. Because a day goes by and another day, another day, and we, we don't have anything to reference back to. And so for me, this, this has been such a sweet time to, to write down at this point what's going on. But I know in the future, I can look back and say, God, you are faithful. So I see David at this place where he, he knows that God is faithful and he's crying out to him. And if, I encourage you, if you don't already, to start journaling, start writing down God's faithfulness. And I think this will accomplish two things. One, it'll create an intentional time for you to cry out to God. And two, it'll give you the ability to look back at all the prayers and the hardships that God brought you through. We know how important it is for people to be with us when we're going through hardships. When when someone comes and sits next to us, it means so much to us. We have God who is always with us, who always cares for us, who always knows what's right. And he's, he's waiting for us to call to him. Let's do that, just like David did. It will change the way you communicate to God. Just like David found, peace starts with us crying out to God. Number two, after crying out to God, we need to ask hard questions. Ask hard questions. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Selah. Now, he, he's actually talking to these men, like, why are you doing this? Why are you going to continue doing this? Why are you living in lies? Why are you casting out vain words? Why are you doing all these things? And for, for me, I, I don't know if I'm actually going to talk to the people at that moment, but for me, if I'm doing this, am I looking to God? I need to ask questions of what actually, what is happening in this, these situations. Ask hard questions. Um, and that's hard for me because I don't like to go into my bitterness and my judgment and my anger before God because I, I like to make, I, I like to keep peace with people. I'm a, I'm a peacekeeper in many ways. Why I don't like to get down to the, okay, this is really what's happening. And, but we shouldn't be afraid to just let out our questions, to let out all the things going, because God's bigger than all those things. Just like you want your kids to come to you and share with you all the thoughts that are in their heads. And they might have some crazy questions and some crazy realizations of things. You're like, wow, that's crazy. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. I can sort of handle that. Think about God. He can handle all our questions, all our experiences, all our emotions. We don't need to sugarcoat things with him. 
Now, after we are honest with ourselves and how the situation at hand has affected us, we need to be careful to judge rightly. Be very careful to judge rightly. Judging rightly is hard because when we judge, we can easily start seeing things from only our point of view. And this leads to possible misunderstandings. And when that happens, um, James actually speaks about when that happens, when we misunderstand the situation. In James chapter 4, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I don't think James is saying you shouldn't judge a situation. I'm not saying that. I don't think he's saying that at all. But what you need to do is be careful to judge according to the law of love. According to the law of love. And when we start making up rules for people to follow that are different from the parameters that Jesus taught us to follow, we become the judge of what is right and wrong. We're just talking about in the, the, the men's class today. What is morality? Is it objective or subjective? Well, when we say these things need to be followed and we're making them up, we are becoming, we're making morality subjective. And, and we can't do that. When we speak the things that we say are true, that people have broken our rules, we speak evil of them. The word uh, speak evil translates in, in the Greek, uh, katalalia. Uh, it is the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information, which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. That's speaking evil. When you're putting someone up against your judgment versus God's judgment, when you're creating your own rules and you're speaking bad about them and they came to defend themselves. We need to ask hard questions and be honest with God, just like David did, but we also need to make sure that we are being right in our judgments. Right. Now, after, you ask, after you've asked all the hard questions and judge rightly, you need to find, you'll find that people, and you find that people are actually doing wrong. So we've asked hard questions, judge rightly, people are doing wrong to us. Then what do you do? Then what do you do? Number three, we remember who's we are. Remember that you are God's. That you are not your own. You belong to God. Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When people are talking bad about us and breaking us down, it is easy to believe what they say. We can even start to question reality and wondering, what are we hiding are we hiding things from ourselves? Are we, are we uh, beginning, and then we could begin to believe all these things that are untrue that people say about us. But Ecclesiastes 7, 21 through 22 says, be careful. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. And I'm pointing this way, but I'm pointing this way. Oh, it's so easy to take something you hear from someone else, and you're like, wow, that was harsh. And then you start walking away like, am I really like that? Did that? And you, you, you can go down a rabbit trail really easily. When those times come, when people are against us, we need to remember that we are gods, 
and not our own. Meaning that we look to the word of God to define who we are. Also, David is reminding us and others that when they mess up, uh, sorry, when they mess with David, they mess with God. And going back to where he says, but know um, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. When people mess with us, they're messing with God. And I'm not saying that because God is taking David's side. It's because David is trusting in God. And it is clear throughout scripture that we can't tell God what to do. God, I don't like this situation. I don't like the way you define this. So can you define it this way? Can you change what is true for me? For me? No, 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 no. When we are sitting in the truth of God and doing God's desires, he will uphold us. And he will help us to continue walking in his way, no matter what other people say. Now, although this is true, sometimes our lack of faith makes it hard to always have confidence that God will uphold us. We don't always see ourselves as God's children. And if you read the epistles over and over and over again, Paul is saying, hey, you're children of God, you're children of God. This is who you are. This is who you are. We need to have that mindset. Amongst the onslaught of what people might say about us and what we're doing, we need to remember that we are God's children. So, and then the next process of peace. We must take care that we do not react. You guys know the uh, old saying, remember, don't react, respond. Don't react, respond. Be angry and do not sin. Verse 4. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Big, long pause. Selah. Be silent. Being silent in the face of adversity is very hard. And you can ask my wife. When my wife comes, uh, when we have an argument, we actually have it two different ways. I'm the one that likes to just get everything on the table, just say it how it is. And my wife, she'll just go silent. And I'm just like, well, but can we just argue it out and just get it done with? And she's like, I'm like, please just say something. And she doesn't. And I'm like, but this is how you argue. I, I grew up where you argue back and forth until someone's either exhausted from arguing or you come to agreement, which actually never happens. So she's just exhausted from arguing the entire time. And even though that's what I do, I don't think that's right. My wife, actually, she's a better example in that. But, and she's taught me a lot how to be silent in that. But in those times of arguing, just even with our spouses, we can be harsh. We can say unloving words. And these are two the people that we love. How much, how much more capricious will, will we be to people that we know hate us? and don't love us? How much more hurt will we inflict or bitterness that we can cause to people when we know they're not on our side? In those moments, it's us taking vengeance versus bringing life, especially when we're doing what we're doing with bad judgment. So instead of reacting, we need to stop. We need to be silent and think about what is truly going on. Our words, our actions need to be thought through and tempered, not only for our protection and reputation, but also for the ones who will receive our words. I have a friend 
who told me that every time he gets an email where someone's upset with him, he waits 24 hours. He waits 24 hours for the emotions to go away, for him to think through things instead of just writing back. I know ooh, that feeling, that email comes in, you're just like, oh, you just little, and you hit delete and you don't send it out. Be silent. Be silent. And do not react in sin. Our words and our actions are very important. They should always be just. And unless we take the time to work out what we should do, we will end up allowing the flesh to control us. So when you are tempted to react, we need to be silent and ponder. We all know James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Just like David has instructed us, let us not give vent to our anger and sin, but instead sit quietly. And you might be asking, well, then how long do we sit quietly? How long do we sit and wait? Well, that brings us to our fifth point, which is trust in God. Trust in God. Verses 5 and 6, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the, face, uh, lift up the, the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Well, being silent is half the battle. The next thing that David encourages us to do is continue doing what is right. You might, might ask, what is, what is right? This morning we were talking in, in the prayer meeting. I didn't put it down. Like, what is right? To do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, to be thankful in the middle of all the turmoil that's going on. These were suggestions from the group. To look at the word of God and says, react in this way. Love, care for your enemy. When we are pressed by people that hate us, pressed by people that want us to fail, we need to continue doing what is right and offer sacrifices to God that are right. We need to be convinced of the convictions that God has given us, his word. And this can only happen when we trust God more than man. And you might say, but I, I want to take things into my own hands. This is giving in to the lie that God is unjust. God is the one who created justice and cares about justice more than you could ever. Remember that. Whenever you get to the point where like, I just want to do my own way. God cares about justice more than you could ever imagine. He does? Yeah, he created justice. When we take things from our own perspective, when we should have paused, we skew justice. And God is saying, now wait for me. Trust in me. And when we are waiting, we need to be careful. Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I watch my girls interact sometimes. And it, it's, it's very annoying because one daughter, she knows how to push everyone's buttons, or actually multiple daughters. And uh, one will do something to the other. And I was like, ah, stop that. Ah! And that moment that that interaction's finished, the other one will do the exact same to them. I'm like, you're repaying evil for evil. It's just right there. It's just, look, look at my kids, you know, evil for evil. 
But that's not just with our kids, that's with us. We can quickly take offense. We can gossip about other people when they've been hurting us. We can do the same thing to that person just to try to teach them a lesson. Have you guys ever felt that? Oh, if they only knew how it felt when they did that to me, I'm going to do the same thing back to them and they'll understand how it feels. You guys felt that before? I've been there. But when we trust in God, we leave the way that God desires to do justice up to him. And we sit in silence and wait for God to move. He will do greater things. He will do greater things than we can imagine. He'll do greater things than we can imagine. Which brings us to our our sixth step, which we need to see God as the greatest blessing. Verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. Now, life is hard enough when someone is slandering you, but it's a whole other level when that person is slandering you and they're prospering. When you see them, you're like, how in the world did they get all those wonderful things? Psalm 73.3 says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, we're thinking like, well, God, what have I done wrong? Why are they getting all these blessings? And I'm sitting here, they're just tearing me down. And I mean, I'm not getting the pay raise like they are. My family's struggling. I mean, you've had those days where everything just goes wrong. You're like, God, what's happening? Sometimes it's not what you're doing wrong. Sometimes what we're doing is we're not letting God be the greatest blessing. We're letting our circumstances, our material status, be the greatest blessing instead of God. We're not letting his wisdom and his guidance, his presence, his love, his forgiveness, his adoption, the ability to be able to talk to the creator of the universe be the greatest blessing. These are the things that should bring us joy. Joy. And even more joy than when we have all the material things that we'd ever want. We can... We can say, God, how are you letting this person get away with these things and still be blessed? But David is saying, they don't have the best blessing of all. They don't have God. The seventh and last step to peace is this. After you've cried out to God, asked the hard questions, remembered whose you are, did not react, trusted in God, and made your God the greatest blessing, which I said a second ago that people that are against you don't have God. Some people that are against you might have God, but you've just lost sight of your greatest blessing too. Okay, Trying to situ- situate that properly too. Um, but when we see God as the greatest blessing, the last thing that we need to do, what David says, number seven, We need to see God as the source of our peace. See God as the source of our peace. Verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. No one else, nothing else, nothing but God alone. 
This is where God is your peace and safety. This is the place of full surrender. Surrender. This is the place where you feel completely safe because you are fully trusting in the way God wants to do things. And when you are here, he will give you peace to sleep. Who's been there? Where there's turmoil in your life, you're thinking through things, and you just can't sleep. You can't rest You can't even rest when you're awake because your mind's going. You can't even sit down and and think about things because you're just so anxious. God, in that moment, he's saying, I am your peace. Let him be your everything. Hold nothing back. Not just what you say, but what you do. It is when we are fully surrendered to God and trusting in him. That is where we find rest. This is, now, this doesn't mean that our troubles will go away. It doesn't mean that the moment we find this peace, oh, that person's going to stop doing what they're doing, or all these things are going to just magically disappear. But it does, in the midst of the storm, mean that we will have peace in God. Jesus in the middle of a physical storm that was going on, was sleeping in a boat. Jesus is peace. Jesus is peace. David says that God will make us lie down in safety. There is no true rest or safety apart from finding it in God. Only God himself. So the question I have for you, where are you today? Are you at peace? Are you looking to the one who brings peace? Maybe you have peace relationally with God, but you haven't taken the time to cry out. You're like, God, I I know that I'm right with you because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. I connect with you, and I know that you're there but I haven't rightly come to you. I know you love me, but I haven't come to you. Just like when you're disconnected from your your parent, you you have this working relationship where you're, you're talking about things, but you never get into the root. God is saying, come to me. Pour out everything before me. Pour out your sorrows, your emotions, your anger, your bitter, whatever it is, come to me. Trust me. Rest in me. Find your peace in me. Maybe you're on the other side where you're like, well, that sounds great, Michael, but I can't even talk to God because I don't trust him at all. I don't even know how to have a relationship with God because I don't believe in Jesus the one who can forgive me of my sins. I don't believe what he's done. But you're like, but I want that peace. I want that peace so bad. Well, this morning, you have to surrender. You can't have the world and peace. You can't have sin and life. You have to say, God, I trust you through Jesus Christ. Please give me peace. So today, I give you a choice. 
One, if you don't have peace but you know God, cry out to him. Cry out to him and go to him with everything. And number two, if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, surrender to Jesus Christ and find peace. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.